Alex talked a lot about me. He didn't realize I had the mic next, so <laughs> just kidding. Um, hey, well, welcome. My name is Jacob, and uh, if you want my truck, you can have it. Um, today, we are uh, going to be wrapping up our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we have been going through this series uh, for two summers now. Uh, we started it last summer. We went through it about six weeks or so, and then we picked it back up this summer, hence the name Summer on the Mount. Um, we came up with that, so I know you thought it was really clever, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but this is the most famous sermon preached by the most famous man of all time. Uh, this is Jesus speaking, um, bringing this message, and essentially he is introducing the kingdom of God um, the kingdom of heaven to his disciples and showing them what kingdom living looks like. Uh, and in our text today, Jesus is actually concluding this entire message. It's kind of his application point, his so what now moment that we're looking at today. But before we get to that text, um, I want us to go back and look at what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount talked about. So we will go back in Matthew chapter 5. That's kind of where we're going to be starting. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to do some quick bullet points because it has been over a year since we've talked about some of these things. And so uh, I want us to um, look back on uh, what Jesus has talked about. And so he gave this message. He is sitting on a hillside near the Sea of Galilee. He sat down, um, and he begins to speak to his disciples. Uh, his disciples would sit near him, and he talks to them. However, there is a large crowd that gathers around. There's a crowd of people that show up and want to hear what this guy Jesus has to say. And so I believe that if he were to title this message, he would title it like Kingdom Contradictions, right? That there is just something about the kingdom that he introduces that is so contrary to what we believe and what we know in this world. Right, the kingdom of this earth is opposite. The ideas of this world are opposed to what Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount. And so um, he starts in chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, with the Beatitudes, right? These eight ideas, these eight characteristics of what a kingdom citizen should live like, right? He starts off by saying that they should be poor, they should be hungry and thirsty. Uh, but what are they poor and they are poor in spirit? Right? When we come before God the Father, we realize that we come poor, we come lacking, we come without any sort of uh, thing that we can give to God, right? And then we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, that we are to pursue the righteousness of God. We are to pursue what Jesus would have for us. That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen, that we should be meek, that we should be more merciful, Right? And then he goes on and he talks about being salt and light, that there is a clear distinction between a kingdom citizen and the culture of this world, that if you call yourself a believer and you follow Jesus and you uh, honor God with your life, that your life is different than the world, that you should be salt, you should preserve the good things in this world, you should be light, you should shine your light in the dark places of this world. And then he goes into his views of the law. Right, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament, but he actually came to fulfill the law. He came to um, fulfill every single part of it. And then he goes into these six kind of you have heard it said statements. And so what that is, is that was Jesus saying, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. Right? So for example, he says, you have heard it said, do not commit murder, but I tell you that if you have anger in your heart, you have already committed murder to your brother. Right? 
So what Jesus does, he talks about anger and he talks about lust and divorce and oaths and some other things. And he basically shines a light on the heart and he says, focus on the heart, not the issue. Just because you haven't murdered somebody does not mean that you don't have anger and sinfulness in your heart. So we focus on the heart. He takes it up a level. And then we go into chapter six and he focuses on the inward life. So he covers some religious kind of topics. He covers uh, giving and helping out the needy. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about um, storing your treasures up in heaven where moth and dust cannot destroy. And so he focuses more on the inward self than the outer self, that we don't do those things. We don't help people out. We don't pray. We don't fast because we are trying to gain the approval of men, but we do that from the overflow of what God is doing in our heart. Right? There's this theme that kind of keeps occurring. It's the inward self. It's the heart that matters most, not just what's going on on the outside. And he talks about do not be anxious, right? God provides for the birds of the air. Won't he also provide for you? And then we go into chapter 7. He talks about do not judge others, that we are to focus on ourselves. Don't worry about the little piece of sawdust in somebody else's eye. Take the two-by-four out of your face first. And then... We go on and we see that we are told to pray, to ask, seek, and knock, and to go to our good Father who wants to give us good gifts. And so Jesus invites us to go, to approach God, right? This idea of God as a Father who is approachable is contrary to what they would have believed at this time. And then the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because of all these things, treat others with honor and respect. Help them out. Give to the poor, give to the needy, help out somebody just as you would want someone to help you. And then last week, Alex talked about there being two choices, right? That there is either life or death, that there is a narrow gate, a narrow road that leads to life and a broad gate that is easy. It's easy to travel along and it leads to destruction. And whichever one of those paths, whichever one of those you walk down and you live your life by, you will either have good fruit or you will have bad fruit. And one day, all of us will stand before God on Judgment Day, and some people will stand there and say, yeah, Jesus, I knew you. And he will say, well, I never knew you. And so that's where we get to this point. That's where we are today, and Jesus in our text is saying, so what now? Now that I've said all of that, I tell you this. Right, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. It says, everyone then, some translations might say therefore, or therefore everyone, or so everyone, but everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them or does not do them, will be like a man, foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is a pretty well-known parable that Jesus gives, right? And we all want to build our house on the rock. We want our house to be built on a sturdy foundation. This is common sense, right? We know that whenever you're getting a house built, that big old truck comes and it pours all that concrete down and you smooth it out and you make sure it's flat and you make sure it's level and you make sure that you have a solid foundation before you start building that house. And what happens if that foundation has some issues? Well, you see it throughout the entire house, don't you? Some of you have had to deal with this before and it's a headache. And it's an expensive headache. (laughs) 
if your foundation is off, if it is shifted, you see the cracks running up the wall. You see the doors that don't close. You see the cracks in the ceiling, and all of a sudden, sheetrock is starting to fall from the sky. <laughs> and we also know that sand, that's shifty, right? We're not going to build a house on sand. Because you build a sand castle on the beach, if you're too close to the water, what happens when that tide comes in? Your sand castle is gone, and then you're left there just crying with your pail and your shovel. We understand this, right? We want our house to be built on the rock, not on the sand. We don't want it to be shifty. And Jesus paints this picture for us of two builders. And notice that there's only two options. You're either building your house on the rock or you're building your house on the sand. But listen, everyone is building a house. Everyone in this room, every person that you know is building a house. And this house is your life. Your house that you are building is every single thing that you do right? It is your marriage. It is your kids. It is your job or your career. It is your hobbies. It is your wealth. It is your retirement, right? It is what you invest your things in. It is your relationships. It is the personality that you create and the person that you want to be. Your, your humor, your intelligence, your house is what you're building with your legacy. What are people going to think of you? It's your faith, your house that you're building. And that's all your life. And Jesus is talking about our lives. That is what we are building our house. We are building our lives either on the rock or on sand. And so no one wants to build a life that is going to lead to destruction. No one wants to build a life that is one day going to end up in destruction and failing. People want to build a life of fulfillment. People want to build a life of joy. They want to build a life of security and safety, a life where they can flourish and be happy, right? And Jesus shows us that there is only one life that you can build that leads to those things. So let's look at the wise man, verse 24 and 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine does not does them, is, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So how do we characterize the wise man? Well, we characterize him by obedience. That the wise man does the words of Jesus. He hears what Jesus has says and he puts those words into action. He lives them out. Jesus is saying, do what I have preached to you. All right, I just preached to you this entire sermon. Do those things, and that's what it means to build your house on the rock. Not only in this sermon, but the rest of the New Testament, the rest of Scripture, we are to build our lives on Scripture. All the characteristics that Jesus described of what it means to be a kingdom citizen, to be meek, to be mild, to be poor in spirit, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, be that. Do those things to focus and care more about the heart, to care more about the inward self than your appearance from other men, from other women. That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. So focus on your heart first, not on others. Do not judge others, but look at yourself. Do that. That's what it means to build your house on the rock. To pray to your Father in heaven. To go to him as a child who is free to ask his Father for good things. Do that. That is building your life on the rock, do not judge others, but be good to others. 
Be generous with your time, your resources. Help those that need help. And so to hear his words and to do his words is what it means to build your house on the only foundation that will last, on the rock of the truth of Jesus. So to contrast, we look at verse 26 and 27, the foolish man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. So obviously, what contrasts obedience, it is disobedience. The foolish man lives a life of disobedience, that he doesn't do what Jesus says. He does not put his words into practice, but he builds his house on the shifty sand. So I think for us, it's easy to think of this type of person. It's easy to think of the person whose life is built and characterized by destruction. Maybe this is a person who doesn't go to church at all. Maybe this is a person who lives a life that is opposed to the teachings of Jesus. Maybe they're open about it. Maybe they are angry at the idea of God. Maybe they are an atheist. Maybe they live their life in sin and squandering and all the things that uh, we know are not good, not good ways to live. Maybe that's this person. Maybe they live their life built on their own values, their own beliefs, their own thoughts, and they build them not on the truth of Jesus. And so I think that is a person whose house will end up falling. But Jesus here, even more so, is talking about a different person. Jesus is not talking about that person that you can look at their life and say, yep, I know where they're headed. He is talking about the churchgoer. Jesus here is talking about the person who maybe looks like they have built their house on the rock, but it's actually on the sand, right? He's, what does he say? The foolish person hears my words. They sit under his teaching. The foolish person was in the crowd with Jesus on the side of this mountain. The foolish person hears the words of Jesus, and maybe their house even looks like it was built on the rock. However, they aren't obedient to him. They are not obedient to what Jesus says. They do not do the things that Scripture clearly lays out for us to do. You know, and this person goes to the same church as the wise person. This person probably hangs out with the wise people. They, their kids are in the same activities. They vote the same. They look the same. They maybe talk the same. But they aren't obedient to Jesus' words. And so, I realize that we all sin. I realize that every single one of us will struggle with being disobedient to some degree in our lives. It's in our nature we are sinners. But I am talking about a pattern and a clear disregard to live your life under Jesus' leadership. I am talking about the type of life that is, um, has a pattern of living in disobedience to what the Scripture says. So, the foolish builder can look like their house is built on the rock, but deep down, it's not the same. It's not built with the same foundation. So, here's the deal. I know that there are those people in our church today. I know that they are common. 
we talked about last week, is the broad gate, right? That many will enter through it. And that people will go to Jesus and they will say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say, what? I never knew you. So I know that there are people here today that fall into the foolish category. That they listen to the word of God. They even like what they hear. They're a fan of Jesus. And they sing the songs and they're maybe in a home group and they even do a devotional. They possibly even memorize some scripture and they call themselves a Christian. But are they, are you obedient to the word of God? Do you do what Jesus has called you to do? All of it, the hard stuff, even the things that this world dislikes and the things that are probably going to upset some people in your life that you know and are going to hurt some relationships. Do you do those things? Church, family, obedience is essential. Obedience is absolutely necessary for the Christian. Hearing, believing in Jesus, memorizing scripture, saying amen, liking who Jesus is, that does nothing to save you. Not a single thing. James chapter 1, verse 22, there's this famous verse that says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It doesn't help anybody to just hear the words, but you have to do them. And who are you fooling if you hear the words and you think that you're a Christian? You're deceiving yourself. But we have to hear the word and we have to do the word along with it. We have to be obedient to Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do. It's necessary. That is the only way that your house is built on the firm foundation. It's the only way that your house is going to last. Because what we saw last week What happens to the person who says, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they aren't obedient to the words of Jesus? Jesus says, I never knew you. And I can imagine that I'm ruffling some feathers right now. And I hope that I am. In love, I hope that you hear that it is not enough to merely hear the teachings of Jesus, but we need to do them. We need to live them out. We need to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do. Because otherwise, that house will fall and great will be the fall of it. Because storms are going to come in this life. And the storms reveal what our house is built on. See, the truth is that the rain is going to come, the floods are going to rise, the wind is going to beat against the side of the house of the wise man and the foolish man. I wish that I could stand up here and tell you, if you follow Jesus and you're obedient to his words, storms don't come for you. They go around you. That is not the truth. I would be lying to you. Jesus promises us in John 16 that actually the storms, the trials, the tribulations will come for every single one of us. Pastor Tony Evans in, a, in Dallas, Texas has this saying where he says a, a storm is like a piece of paper that you get in the mail that just says occupant. It doesn't care who lives there. It'll show up. Right? It doesn't matter if your house is built on sand or a rock. It's going to get hit 
with a storm. That's just the promise of life, that troubles are going to come. Jesus promises us that. And storms can be unexpected. Storms can be tragedies. Storms can be a sickness. It can be a death. It can be a loss of a job. It can be bills stacking up. Storms can be depression. Storms can be anxiety. Storms can be external and they can be internal. But either way, they're going to test the foundation of what your life is built on. And so all of those things are absolutely storms that you may go through in this life. But there's one storm that every single one of us are promised that we will receive in this life, and that is judgment. That one day there will be a judgment for each and every one of us that we will stand before God the Father. And that storm is promised and only a foundation that is built on the rock of Jesus will withstand that storm. Only the foundation built on the truth and being obedient to what God has called us to do can we have assurance that we will be standing on that last day. You see, this isn't something that we can fake. No matter how much you paint and decorate and shiplap and chip and Joanna your house, the foundation's the foundation. You're just going to have a pretty pile of rubble. And the foundation is only when we do what Christ has called us to do. And so the world is going to look at Christians. The world does look at Christians and thinks those are the fools. The people who believe the Bible, those are the fools. How can you believe those made-up stories? How can you be so narrow-minded and believe that there's only one gate to get to heaven? How can you believe those teachings that are so traditional and old-school and outdated? Or maybe they say, I love Jesus. I just don't like all the other stuff in the Bible. Well, or maybe they say, why can't we just love one another? Why can't we just all be kind to one another and then we'll all just get to this eternal cosmic paradise thing on the last day. None of those ideas are going to be a foundation that secures their life. And on the last day, every single person, whether you're here, whether you're not, every single person on that last day will wish that they were like the wise man who built their house on the rock. Every single one. They will wish that they were obedient to the things that Jesus said. However flippant they live their life here and now, on the last day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the Lord. And so Christ, he calls us to obedience. He says, build your house on the rock that is the obedience of my word. And he says this with such authority. He says this as he's preaching uh, like he is a God. It's weird. And the people notice. Verse 28 and 29. It says, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So Jesus proves himself to be different than the Pharisees, than the teachers of that day. He proves himself that he is not preaching as one who was handed down information from another teacher, but he preaches as one who has authority. 
and it says that they were astonished. Another word for astonished is dumbfounded, that their minds were blown, that Jesus just taught all of these things and the way in which he taught these things. They couldn't believe it. But remember, Jesus was saying these things that were brand new to these people. That he was not teaching differently than the Old Testament. However, he was um, teaching at a deeper level than the Old Testament. He was saying, you have heard this, but I tell you this, right? And so they've been taught the same thing by the scribes and the teachers for hundreds of years. And it was a contradiction of what Jesus was saying to what most of these people had believed in their life. To what they had been taught previously. And so Jesus spoke boldly as one with authority. And these claims that Jesus made throughout the Sermon on the Mount, they could not come from a mere human. He didn't only speak with authority, but he spoke as authority. He spoke as one who was the, had the authority of the Messiah. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke as one with the authority of the Savior of the world. He spoke as one with the authority of the judge of the universe. He spoke as one with the authority as the Son of God and God himself. Jesus spoke in this way and made these claims throughout this message that could not be made by a mere human being. And they were astonished. For Jesus to speak in this way, there had to be something different about him. And we, we know this as the trilemma, right? C.S. Lewis made it popular, but it means that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That if Jesus actually said these things, that if Jesus actually made these claims as to who he thought he was, and he spoke with the authority that people should follow him and they could only get to heaven through him, if he did those things, but he knew he wasn't actually God, that makes him a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, we have no reason to be reading the scripture. We had no reason to be following his leading and his teaching if he is a liar. But if Jesus made these claims and he said that I am God and he said you should follow me and there is only one way to get to heaven and it is through me and there is a narrow gate and that's what I'm teaching you and there is only one way that your life will last through destruction and it's if you put your hope and your trust on what I say. And if he said these things and he believed them to be true but he actually wasn't God, he's a lunatic, he's a crazy person, lock him up. Like if there's a guy walking around and saying these things and he's actually not those things, he's crazy and we shouldn't listen to a single thing that he said, we need to get him some medication. However, if Jesus says these things and he makes these claims and he is who he says that he is, and he is Lord. And if he is Lord, he deserves lordship. You cannot say, I like the things that Jesus taught and not be obedient to them. It's impossible. Because 
Jesus requires the lordship of your life. He is sitting on the throne and you are merely a servant, a worshiper bowing at his feet. And for you to say that, yes, you are king, but I'm not going to do what you say. You are not a follower of that king. So, Christian, believer, follower of Jesus, if you would identify as one of those things in this room, are you being obedient to the Lord and the King? I want to close with this. Jesus lays out what it means to be a kingdom citizen. It is completely different from being a kingdom of this, from being a citizen of this world. Right? It's completely different from the culture. It's completely different from these ideologies that we have in our day and what they had in their day. Right? And he says that, it's, that we need to be obedient to him, but here's the deal. It is impossible to be obedient to Jesus Christ on our own strength. It's impossible. So Jesus gives us an impossible task. He says, build your house on the rock, and you can't do it. <laughs> but we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by following rules. We are not saved by being obedient to what he says. We are saved only through a genuine faith and trust to follow Christ. We are saved by our faith, not by our works. James chapter 2 shows us this, right? James chapter 2 talks about that our, our faith comes first and then our works work themselves out. That our, our works follow our decision in faith. That we make faith first and then we have our works. And so those works, doing what Jesus said, being obedient to him, it follows our faith in him only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is such a difficult concept for us. Right? We believe that we want to be better people, so what do you do? You change the way that you live. What do you do if you want to be a better person? Well, I'm going to read what Jesus said, and I'm going to try to do those things to my best ability. But in fact, what we have to do is we have to put our faith in Jesus and in the gospel that Christ laid down his life for us. And that when he rose from the grave, we can now have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us when we put our faith in that truth. And as we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit works itself out in us through good works. It comes from God's Spirit within us. It doesn't come from ourselves. We can't earn God's Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 makes this clear. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no man shall boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. That lays out the gospel. We were saved by grace, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus to lay down his life. And when we put our faith in him through that faith, we are living out the good works that God has laid before us. So, if you think you're a Christian, if you are in this room saying that you are a believer and you are being disobedient to what the Bible calls you to do, your entire life is built on a false foundation of sand. And I say that lovingly. 
And I say that because there is an open invitation to start rebuilding your life on the truth of Jesus, on obedience of what Christ has called you to do. There's an open invitation that any of us have in this very moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth um, that anything other than you is going to leave us in destruction, that anything other than your word, your guidance, your teaching, your promises, God, they're not enough. And I pray against the person in here who hears this teaching, who hears the gospel, who reads their Bible and doesn't live their life according to it. I pray against the pride that it takes to read the scripture and believe that Jesus died for me and Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but I don't want to follow him because this is difficult, because I disagree with this thing. God, I pray against that pride. I pray for the humility to submit ourselves under your lordship, under your leadership. And I pray for the person in here at this time that wants to begin this relationship, wants to begin building their house on the foundation of your truth. God, your invitation is open, and I pray that that person would boldly step into it, that that person would boldly come to you. That it's not a one-time prayer that you can make to be saved, but it is a daily decision to die to yourself and to live for you. To daily put our faith in what you have done on the cross and through that the power of the Spirit works itself out in our souls and in our lives. And I pray that if you are deciding to do that today that you would mark it on your connect card, that you would grab me, you would grab Alex, grab someone on our team after this service and walk alongside that decision with somebody else. It's a daily decision. It's not just this feeling that you have in your heart and in your mind in this moment. But it's to build your life, every aspect of it, on the truth of Jesus. I pray that for all of us, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.